Hello, I'm Tandy, and welcome to The Lost Boys, episode number three. I'm joined by Bo Matt Courier. Say hi, Bo Matt. Hi, Bo Matt. And uh, we've had a wonderful week. Uh, you know, a lot of awesome stuff happened this weekend. Uh, just rolling right into it, Matt. Why don't you tell the people at home what you participated in this week? This weekend, I drove to Crossville, Tennessee, to a store called Nat20 Games for possibly the first ever Lorcana 1K. It's a constructed tournament with a $1,000 prize pool. And uh, we got about 40 players. It was a good time. So that's a 1K event. And you say you drove like a, like an hour or two? This is close to your house? No, I uh, went a little out of pocket here. I drove <laughs> three hours... I drove three hours on Friday night, stayed in a hotel, and then two hours in the morning. Uh, I just wanted to be there right at the beginning, you know. No, I feel you. I feel you. We we talked about this uh, quite a bit, you know, over the last few days, like leading up to the weekend. And I think up until about, uh, I think up until about, you know, Thursday or so, I was raring to go. And then I think uh, you were like, so what time do you want to leave after I get off of work on Friday? And uh, I was like, well, how far is it? And you said five hours. And uh, I think there's a part of me that died inside, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Something a little bit was, more of an ask. Something was crushed inside of me. I think if if we had been able to leave around noon or if, uh, you know, different circumstances. Yeah. But how was yeah. it? Tell me about the experience. Tell me about the tournament itself. So I had a good time. Uh, I got to talk to a bunch of cool people, play some Lorcana. I did not personally do very well in the event. I ended up going 2-3 and dropping. Oh, rats. What'd you play? Yeah. I played the Sapphire Steel uh, ramp deck. Uh, those ended up being the cards that I had available because my roommate, Brayden, had bought cards and I hadn't nice. yet. Uh, so I did have all the cards I wanted for that deck, but uh, it didn't end up being a great choice for the metagame. So uh, this deck that you were playing, let, let's talk a little bit about it. And we'll post up the deck list for those at home. And, uh, I, you know, we talked a little bit about this before the weekend, and I even loaned you some of the cards out of my collection. My my babies, right. my precious bell, my precious bell. Yeah. So, like I said, uh, Steel and Sapphire, this is a ramp deck. Uh, and we're using Fishbone Quill and Bell to try to get as much ink as possible early on and then fill up our hand with a whole new world and hopefully have way more ink than our opponents and just overpower them uh, like that. And then, mm. of course, Tinkerbell and grab your sword to control your opponent's board. Um, I'm also playing uh, four copies of Beast's Mirror as a different way to draw cards yeah. because a whole new world is pretty risky against these control decks that we're seeing. Um but I ended up kind of discovering that Beast's Mirror didn't do the trick against Control either, which it's is... It's pretty costly. I've tried it a few times as well, and, and spending three to draw a card when you're empty-handed, you know, first you draw something, it's like, well, it has to be pretty cheap already for me to still have three ink left over to draw a card, but then I'm yeah. not, you know, if I'm, you know, playing it as ink also, like, I'm just, you know, kind of just drawing extra resources that don't really matter, because I'm out. You know, I'm out of juice. Right, and um, I'll go into some more detail on this later when we talk about the uh, control archetype, but Beast Mirror, the fact that you have to empty your hand to draw a card with it makes it actually very difficult to um, have you know agency over how much pressure you're putting on your opponent. Uh, 
And I definitely felt that in the tournament rounds when I started playing against players who were really trying to win. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so this deck, you know, you, you didn't think it was quite good in the metagame. Let's talk about the big baddie in the room. Let's talk about the metagame. This is the deck to put three of four copies into the top four. And, right. uh, and you know, in those top four players split. So in essence, it took 75% of the prize in the whole room, basically. Exactly. And uh, in the top eight as well, it was 75%. There were six wow. copies of Ruby Amethyst Control in the top eight of this That's event. That's it. Yeah, Ruby Amethyst. You know, we got uh, a lot of those Ruby cards like uh, Aladdin that can steal your opponent's lore as a great top end effect. You know, there's, uh, yep. you know, Dragonfire. To, to blow up any opposing minion, you know, I, I think there's a lot to love about this deck. And then you pair that with Amethyst. Amethyst just gives you the refuel, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, of course, the all star be prepared. Uh, the only way to banish everything on the board uh, is definitely a reason to play a control deck like this. And yeah, these control decks just kind of ran people over at this event for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard a, a lot of talk about uh, the deck and, and seeing it, you know, in my mind, I'd been building decks in a very similar way. And it is to essentially just like curve pretty aggressively on every street. Like you have the ability to play something and that's yeah. essentially to protect you from these aggressive decks and these aggressive decks that feature, uh, you know, one ink characters that can quest for two lore and they use those along with like bodyguards and things like that. But you need to be able to essentially knock down that early aggression or else they get under you. And I think that the right. Rakdos decks did, did this perfectly. But can you tell us why? Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, as we saw players refining their control decks over the past few weeks after all the cards were revealed, we started seeing more cheap characters being played which you might not necessarily expect in a control deck, but uh, these goons like Archimedes, one cost two twos, uh, the control decks are just totally fine playing those and being able to uh, interact with their opponent's characters early in the game, like Lilo and Maleficent, but also, you know, just turn those cards into ink if they need to. Uh, so this is very well-rounded for a control deck. Uh, like you said, able to kind of play something on every turn of the game, including early on. Yeah, I, I think that there are analogs to Magic the Gathering, a game we're both uh, very familiar with, where um, decks typically want to be interactive so that they kind of stall the opponent out, and it gives them time to get into the later turns of the game where their more powerful cards can can take over. And in Lorcana, right. um, we don't have like an issue with flooding, really, because everything in your deck is a spell that you can play. Um, but what we do have oftentimes is a lack of cards that can be played as ink. Um, and so your plays are forced. And so if your hand only has a few cards that have ink on them and, uh, you know, you're trying to interact with your opponent, sometimes you just have to play your on curve card as a resource. Otherwise, you don't get to play the game. And so, like. You know, you right. just don't have, like you said, you don't have agency. Your your, your plays are bottlenecked. Right. Uh, and so uh, one of the decks, one of the lists we're going to be talking about um, uh, for Ruby Amethyst is by uh, Luna at Luna Love 8 on Twitter, who is a um, 
professional Hearthstone player and streamer. Yeah, uh, uh, grand cha- or sorry, grandmaster of Hearthstone, and actually my friend from Atlanta from way back. Oh, awesome! Yeah, so Luna was one of the players that made it to the top four, and she posted a lot of thoughts on Twitter, uh, which we will link in the show notes about the way that she built her deck. Uh, and one of those, like you just brought up, uh, being concerned about ink. Luna's only actually playing two copies of Rafiki, uh, which is a great interactive tool, but not being able to be inked, uh, she was feeling some pressure in her deck and decided to cut those down to two. Yeah, and in our initial testing uh, and and just game theory discussion that me and you've been having, uh, the aggressive decks leading with uh, one drop Lilo into two drop Bodyguard Simba would yep. often just leave our goons, our one cost defenders you you know without use because they would be running right. headfirst into a two three not getting the job done not you know banishing either creature and yeah. and so we were left looking for alternate ways to get over the simba and rafiki was one of the ways that we found and rafiki was great and it was like essentially right. level two of this of the chain right level zero is okay i want to kill you as fast as possible with lilo level two or level one is just like okay how do we protect it and then Level two is how do you get a past the protection? And Rafiki is perfect for that. But if no one's playing Simba and and it can't be inked, maybe it's time to reel it back a little bit, you know? Right. And a little more specifically, uh, specifically in Ruby and Amethyst, uh, you have another great counter to Simba in Gaston. Uh, Two costs Ruby. Uh, It's just a 4-2 with Reckless. That's a card that can be inked. And when you can trade that off for a a Simba, uh, both your characters die, but you've spent the same amount of ink, so you're not too far behind. So Luna decided that four Gaston uh, and two Rafiki is enough that she's not very concerned about Simba. And she's also trying to make room in her deck for more cards that are good against the mirror, against other control decks. Right. And yeah, as the the format devolves into you know, Rakdos v. Rakdos, basically, this, you know, Ruby Amethyst versus Ruby Amethyst, uh, where it's just a bunch of cards that draw cards and a bunch of cards that interact with your opponent and favorable exchanges. Um, you know, that's what you see a lot of times in Limited and when we play other games, mm-hmm. when when um, the focal point is around just a few cards, which it feels like it is because there's just so few things that just say draw a card or replace himself or interact with your right. opponent while doing a thing. Um, you know, you can call that tempo, you can call it whatever, but it's basically just there, there's a clear bar of what it takes to be a playable and good card in in this game, and right. Ruby has a ton, and Amethyst has a, like way more, and right. uh, and so it's just like a density of really strong cards together. Right, and then uh, one of the other interesting card choices in Luna's build that she talked about, that's also for the mirror is Mickey Mouse Wayward Sorcerer and yes. the Magic Broom. Yes, the yeah. Broom, sweep them up. Yeah, this is, a, this is a sweet package that people have been playing for a while because uh, they were some of the first cards to be revealed, but they kind of got, you know, left on the shelf as more exciting stuff came out. But specifically the reason uh, Luna moved towards this package for this weekend is uh, in the mirror against other control decks, you can totally run each other out of threats a lot of the time. So uh, it can come down to sometimes who has fewer cards in their library. And some people uh, have definitely opted to just play more cards 
you know, more than 60, you're allowed to do that. You can just go up to 68 or whatever. But Luna decided to keep her deck consistent and just include these brooms, which can keep shuffling uh, your big cards like Be Prepared or Maleficent uh, back into your deck or shuffle other copies of the brooms so you can actually kind of never die. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a really interesting uh, mechanic because it just I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. But the fact yep. that in week one, it's like, oh, we can maybe run out of stuff. Um, in other games we've played, you know, the attrition war is often won by the deck that just has the fewest threats. And in this game, you can't really do that. And you have to play X mm. number of characters that can physically, you know, quest to win the game. And right. um, just having those brooms to shuffle them back in games go long enough. I get, you know, eight Maleficence where you only get four. You know, you don't have to go broom on broom, but if you do, you know, might be okay and the brooms with mickey right. dookie coming back so you do just get to fill the density of your deck up with powerful cards so yeah kudos right and uh another theme uh that's kind of emerging with these control decks uh that we didn't necessarily see especially early on when ruby sapphire was the initial build is uh the ruby amethyst version does get to draw a lot of cards but it also plays to the board and uh the games are a lot more about, you know, combat, about challenging than I had initially thought. Yeah, same. Um, you know, I, when I've been taking the game really slowly, I know I've been telling you that. And um, I actually got to play with my wife for the first time just a few days ago. Mm -hmm. And we sat down and, and we played a few games and I gave her one of the starter decks. I think it was the Amber Amethyst one. And that deck basically just has no cohesion in it whatsoever it's just a bunch of one and two cost cards with no synergy and i was able to beat her handily with with my deck full of you know four cost five fives or whatever that's okay. just what red green gets and right. um and she got like kind of deflated by it and then i was like hold on hold on like let, let me i showed her the other deck because we had more more starter decks and i gave her gave her the other one and she flipped through it and she's like oh this is pretty great i'm super interested in this and then uh, as we played the games, though, she was like, oh, these some of these cards don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, they were also cards that didn't uh, have the ability to be inked. And so we, mm. we kind of started constricting the decks lower and lower in, in uh, ink, ink value and increasing the total number of inkables in, in our deck. And then yeah. um, and then we started noticing that whoever was on the draw um, if they didn't play like a way to interact with the opponent's other one card, like one cost card on the draw, it would like bury them like four or five lore over the first couple turns. And so, yep. and, and I'm, I'm going to write a whole article about this and we've talked about this a lot. Okay. It's just goon theory. It's just, <laughs> it's just goon theory. So goons are just the one cost cards that every, every color gets. That's a two, two that's inkable. And when your opponent yep. leads with a one drop that, that exerts for two or one drop that exerts for one and, and like is planning to be aggressive. You just have a land that can become a lightning bolt. It can blow up your opponent's thing and that's it. Right. And if you have that, you know, great. And if you don't have it, sometimes if you're a slower control deck or a ramp deck, or playing whole new world or whatever, your opponent is just going to leverage all of that extra time you give them, not interacting with them, just hitting you with little things. And, in, and if I've learned anything in this game is that if you're not questing, and you're having to attack your opponent's stuff, you're losing. And if you're right. questing and forcing them to attack yours in profitable ways, you're winning. 
And so it, in a lot of ways, it feels like chess. And if your opponent just doesn't play their one drop, you just play your one drop as a resource. And that's the game. And then it's turn two and it's the exact same thing. And it becomes very right. chess-like right. where every move is almost scripted if you understand the engine and you understand the matchup. It's so cool. I love this game. Yeah, it's very cool. And uh, speaking of these goons, uh, we actually saw one of the other top four uh, competitors, uh, Garrison, Hanweir Garrison on Twitter, uh, playing a full eight goons in Sergeant Tibbs and Archimedes. Uh, in his Ruby Amethyst control deck. So Garrison's very much taking these goons seriously. All right, very goon friendly. All right, so uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a wrap up on uh, who you saw, who you look forward to seeing to again, um, you know, what you, what you thought of the tournament, what you thought of the format, because I, I have some thoughts and we're going to be doing some things differently. And so I want to get your thoughts on, on your weekend as a whole. Right, so... Uh, as far as the 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 tournament running, uh, you know the store did do a great job. You know, very uh, spacious. Everyone had everything they needed. Um, I did notice basically every round there were, uh, you know, two maybe three uh, games still going on uh, at the end of the fifty minute timer, um, and part of that might be exacerbated by how many control decks there are, but. That's also just kind of the world we live in. You know, control is good in this game. Uh, games are going to go long. Uh, people I met, I got to meet Luna. Uh, she was very nice, very cool. I met, uh, you know, hung out with Garrison, friend of mine, and Mason Esports Clark, a friend of <laughs> ours, who's going to be showing up at the Apex Invitational. Oh, yeah. Uh, he showed up with his, you know, paper cards, and I said, there's no esports here. What are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> And Mason and I played in round three, I believe, and uh, he kicked my butt. Uh, he wasn't even playing Amethyst, but just he uh, was playing Ruby and Sapphire. Yeah, he was playing Ruby and Sapphire, though, and uh, my deck still had trouble with the Be Prepared uh, out of that deck. I mean, Be Prepared is a heck of a card, you know? If, if you're trying to just gain a foothold on, on the table, um, a full reset, you know, could just take the wind right. out of your sails, and especially if they're like Sapphire and they're just ramping, 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 and you think like, oh, how can you challenge all of my minions before I am able to acquire 20 lore? Well, be prepared uh, for anything, and this card is yeah. the one. And, um, you know, Mason's deck uh, still being the Ruby uh, with these be prepareds, but also Maleficent Monstrous Dragon uh, very specifically, I'm finding the combination of these two cards, uh, Maleficent and Be Prepared, to be uh, a real problem to be solved. Uh, that was kind of what the struggle I was running into with Beast's Mirror mm -hmm. uh, in all these Ruby matchups is because I had to either, you know, empty my hand, keep playing out cards in order to draw card cards, or just, like, sit there and not spend my turn drawing cards, I felt like no matter what I did, I was going to be falling behind to either be prepared or Maleficent. Yeah. You know, if I if I underdevelop, then they get to slam Maleficent, uh, take care of my thing, and then, you know, have this big threat that's going to, you know, start questing, start ending the game, or just take care of another couple of my characters. Or, you know, if I play out my things and keep drawing cards with even multiple beast mirrors, 
a be prepared can just wipe me back to square one and I have the same tough decisions to make. Yeah, uh, a real conundrum and one that I look forward to figuring out with you. Um, now, while we are on the subject of things that can potentially counter these big ruby cards, the be prepared, the Maleficent Monstrous Dragon, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, this deck is running all over the place. And Ruby, I think, is one of the main draws, right? While Amethyst is, I would maybe argue, a better color just because of how it fuels everything else. I right. think the payoffs in Ruby are the main focal point. And in Be Prepared and, and Monstrous right. Dragon, those are the ones getting you. So what are some natural counters to the strategy that you can play? Like what cards and other colors are the it girl to protect you from these two heinous war criminals? Right. This is, uh, you know, it's kind of scary, all this control out here. But uh, in another way, it's welcome in that there's a huge target out there, right? Uh, we have a very focused metagame. And if you can figure out a way to beat control, uh, you could find yourself in a great spot. So uh, one of the ways to start looking at doing this is just aggro. Uh, usually amber, sometimes with emerald, sometimes with amethyst. Uh, playing these really low-to-the-ground cards that can quest for multiple lore. Um, And we didn't see uh, any Amber uh, aggro decks make it into the top eight or the top four at this event. But one thing I kind of expect to start seeing is these Ruby Amethyst decks making decisions to try to win against other Ruby Amethyst decks, right? The Mirror? Yeah. And I think if they, you know, uh, maybe slow themselves down a little bit, start trying to play these uh, value cards. You know, like, the Magic Brooms are uh, all right against aggro, especially if you get Mickey down, but they're not exactly optimal. And no! 2-2 you you know, two, two versus 2-3, two, baby! Exactly. You, fa- you exactly. lose. Your broom is not functional here. Right. And, you know, we've already seen this start happening with uh, Luna reducing the numbers of Rafikis. So this is one of the directions I could see them, uh, things start to go, is uh, aggro decks kind of taking over that uh, that lower space if the control decks get greedier. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what, what I want to do, right? Like, the yeah. I'm building towards a Stitch deck, a Stitch Rockstar deck that right. is very aggressive, very low to ground. I want to play eight goons, and I want to play Lilo, and maybe another one drop. I'm not sure yet. But yep. two drop Simba, you know, maybe, uh, depending on the color, we could go three drop Tinkerbell into six mana Tinkerbell. Um, but, you know, I think Amethyst with, with some of the, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what other color I want to pair with it, but Stitch Rockstar, I think, is the truth. And I know I want to play a bunch of goons, and everything else is just the best body at every, you know. Right. This is actually, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, Tinkerbell in the strategy. This is a direction we've been seeing uh, getting kind of popular online is uh, these Ember and Steel decks that are playing Stitch Rockstar and also playing Giant Tinkerbell and Tiny Tinkerbell, um, and kind of trying to uh, strike a line where they're getting both value and aggression uh, as a way to beat these control decks. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, uh, the other package that they're playing is um, Ariel, uh, three-cost Ariel. Oh, the her. singer! The one the who singer, exactly. look, looks for songs. Right, so Steel lets you play both Grab Your Sword and A Whole New World if you want. Um, And the fact that uh, Ariel can both draw and sing A Whole New World uh, gets you maybe just enough flexibility to be able to control when you play that card uh, that you might be able to get 
uh, enough advantage out of it. All right, Matt, you sold me. Here's what we're doing, right? We're building all one drops. Yeah, not all. Almost all, like tons of one drops. Yeah. Aerial, whole new world. Just imagine the curve. One drop into one drop, two drop into aerial, into one drop, one drop, one drop, one drop, draw seven. Who could possibly beat that start in this game? No one. Right. 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 Okay. That, that's too. That's too fast for uh, be prepared. Right. That's too fast and too furious. If you ask me. <laughs> that that's wild. Yeah. I mean, Ariel Singer into a whole new world is something that I've heard people talk about, but in the context of, you know, just a swarm of one drops, you're just empty before right. your opponent can do stuff. It's like playing a bunch of ornithopters and stuff before you play your your draw seven in, in Magic. Like you're just you're going right. bananas, and they're just playing a different game. You're playing vintage over here. Right. So another uh, direction that is interesting is um, Ward, specifically the Ward on uh, Cusco. Uh, Cusco being uh, five cost with Ward. Uh, he's a two forward quest for three lore and also banishes whatever uh, character banishes him in a challenge. Um, one thing you can do against control is set up Cusco plus uh, Shield of Virtue to ready Cusco. Uh, to make him completely invulnerable oh, and yeah. challenging. Wow. Yeah, so uh, that's a, a very you know specific strategy, right? You have this end game that you're trying to set up against uh, control decks where the only way they can answer to Cusco is be prepared. Uh, that's cool. And that's, that's your way to try to force them into, into a position to have a little bit more difficulty making these decisions. Um, I haven't quite ironed that deck out yet, though. Uh, I like where your head's at because Ward with yeah. with three lore and and untapping just it's you know it's a nightmare. That's a nightmare scenario for for decks. Right. You know, for a lot of decks, just something that quests for three and they can't kill. Right. So, uh, you know, you start with those two cards, Cusco and Shield, but then kind of figuring out what to do with the rest of the deck. Um, I didn't have a ton of success success with my first couple builds because. You do have to be able to get a lot of bo- of lore onto the board before Cusco, um, so that you can pressure them into maybe having to be prepared before you drop your Cusco. But all the characters you can play in uh, Ruby and Emeralds to put pressure on the Ruby Amethyst deck is just kind of able to play creatures that are just as good, if not better, on their side. And keep up with you the whole way so that your Cusco ends up being a little lackluster once you finally get there. So that's a problem I haven't solved yet. All right. Well, those are some natural counters that we are going to be trying out against this uh, Amethyst Ruby Control deck that's tearing up the tournament scene in week number one. Uh, We're going to be testing on Pixelborn, a brand new uh, client that uh, was made by a fan of Disney's Lorcana. And is quite functional and quite good. And we recently put out a video on us, uh, well, yep. me learning how to play it. Matt's been playing a ton of it. Matt, why don't you give everyone your what's for uh, for Pixelborn? Right, yeah. Uh, Pixelborn is pretty great. Um, it does have some bugs that you'll encounter every now and again. But uh, on the whole, it's a very good client, good engine. Um, it provides all the cards for you. There's no uh, economy where you have to like fight to get the rares you need for your deck. So you can play whatever you want and it has matchmaking, which is crucial. You can just sit there for 
hours of the night just jamming games, getting uh, reps in on playing whatever deck you want. Yeah, matchmaking is um, kind of wild. Uh, I know them right. when we were we were trying to queue up and we had a little problem or whatever. I was like, I'm just gonna go hit the matchmaking button. I just want to see how long it takes me to get an opponent. And it took yeah. less than a minute, and I was right. in a match, and the match worked pretty well. I think I my match crashed by the end of it, but as far as I can tell, that was a, a fluke, an anomaly, and it works much better now than than it did. And we recorded that over a week ago, so. Right. And the developers are also very active, uh, responding yes. to bugs in the Discord and, you know, putting out multiple patches a week uh, to get the game running as uh, well as possible. So, yeah, I've uh, Pixelborn is great for that. Just for that's how I've gotten the majority of my games in before this tournament was, uh, you know, getting a ton of reps in online uh, whenever I want. But then we're also going to be able to use it for focused testing, like you said. Yeah, because we can directly challenge uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be recording some car. Or sorry, it, you know, it's tomorrow for us. We're going to do um, three games, one v one, and that's it. And that's going to be one video. And we're going to post that to YouTube. And hopefully that'll give you an idea of what a specific matchup looks like. We're going to be, right. you know, talking smack back and forth to each other. We're going to be talking about how the game's going. We're going to be referencing each other's parents in naughty ways, you know, that that type of thing. Uh, I can't not, you would accuse me of such a thing. Well, I'm going to do it. I, You know, I'm just <laughs> saying it's fair game. I'm just setting down the ground rules for what Smack Talking is going to look like. Fair enough. So we're going to play three game sets where we take two decks and we fight each other and we're going to post them on YouTube and I hope that y'all like them. Um, we'll come up with fancy names and branding at some point in the near future. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm not the best at that. I am, you know, whatever. Uh, so that's what we're looking forward to, and we're going to be using Pixelborn, and we highly recommend you do it as well. Uh, we will link the Pixelborn Discord in the show notes so y'all can have them. Um, yeah. Now it's time to come to my favorite part of the week, and we're going to be doing this every week. It's Card of the Week. Nice. All right. All right. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm actually going to take the first one uh, and let you follow up with yours. My card of the week is Maleficent Monstrous Dragon. Ooh. Yeah, so this was uh, one of the first uh, six cards revealed in the game, I think, just as a reminder. Uh, nine cost, inkable, seven five with two lore, and when you play Maleficent, you may banish chosen character. Uh, so... Uh, like I said, one of the first cards revealed and, you know, pretty exciting, but also looks kind of expensive. And then yeah. as these Ruby control decks get more popular, uh, it becomes clear that Maleficent just rules. And a big part of that <laughs> is the way she pairs with Be Prepared. Uh, yes. Like I was talking about, I was having difficulty, uh, you know, threading the needle in putting just enough pressure onto my opponent that Maleficent and Be Prepared were bad. I wasn't really able to find that ground. Uh, so Maleficent, I think, is actually one of the reasons that Be Prepared is as good as it is. No, I agree. Um, you know, and we've um, we've seen how the chain works, right? Where even if you don't cast Be Prepared on seven, you can still cast it on eight a lot of times, like right. while doing other things. And then your opponent sometimes doesn't have much left in the tank and they have like one big monster 
and Maleficent just chews it up next turn. And yeah. you're able to, you don't ramp, you don't accelerate, you don't need to. Your deck is just so full of these things that replace themselves. There's the the right. queen, the queen that draws a card. There's uh, Maleficent three drop that draws a card, and there's all these things that replace themselves. Friends on the other side lets you draw a card, and so uh, when all yeah. these are essentially land plus spell, because that's how the game works for every land that you play, for every resource you play, you need to be able to curve naturally and chain it up and play something bigger and right. better every time. And <laughs> they ain't printed nothing bigger or better than Maleficent. Yeah, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, right before I let you get to your card, I'm going to touch on something you mentioned, uh, which is the fact that this deck isn't ramping, but is playing uh, nine cost and seven cost spells. Uh, that's one of the things I've learned about this game is that if you want to play those expensive spells, you need to either ramp or draw cards. And drawing cards works just as well as long as you're able to, you know, keep your opponent off you. Uh, you just guarantee that you'll have enough cards in hand to be able to play nine ink eventually and play your nine cost cards. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Which is kind of why uh, Genie on the Job in Emerald, I've had, it's a very impressive card, but I've had a little bit of difficulty fitting it into a lot of decks. Because if you don't have card draw or ramp, it can be hard to get to six ink with cards still in hand. Oh, definitely agree. And, uh, you know, I do think Emerald likes to be aggressive. And so those one drops, like often I think in some matchups, you'll play Goon on one on the play, you know, as an Mm -hmm. aggressive measure. And when you start doing that, you start to stall out around five if you hit every ink and you hit every drop. That's just the nature of the beast. You're on, you know, 11 resources when you are hitting ink five and that's it. That's all your cards. They're all gone. Right, um, exactly. And the fact that Genie can't be inked is the only thing holding it back, in my opinion. But the card That's is true. exceptional. And I've already been seeing some um, Amethyst Emerald decks that look pretty good. And they use um, the three-drop uh, Maleficent that draws a card in Amethyst with... Uh, I can't remember the name of the card, but it's the Emerald card that bounces an opposing character for three. And it's a song. Mm. Right. Uh, Mother Knows Best. Yeah, Mother Knows Best. And so Maleficent can sing Mother Knows Best and actually adds right. a, a ton of maneuverability to Mother Knows Best because it's not inkable, but it's quite good because it's one of the few right. ways that that color has to interact with a large opposing character. But I'll say this. It's got to feel pretty bad to Mother Knows Best your opponent's Maleficent. Uh, you know, That's definitely true. Genie on the uh, job. It. Yeah, you know, oh, it's blown up. It's dead now. Yeah, and Genie has evasive, not Ward. That's yeah. uh, not going to be a great matchup there. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, uh, Maleficent. One of the best qualities of Maleficent that uh, we knew about was that it can just sing friends on the other side on the following turn. Uh, but until I saw that uh, deck on Twitter, I hadn't thought about Mother Knows Best. But yeah, that's a good pairing that I want to try out. Awesome. Uh, so <clears throat> for my card of the week, I would like to pick. Ursula Power Hungry. So yeah. Ursula Power Hungry is a seven drop, uh, cannot be inked. And uh, when it uh, comes into play, you get to steal a lore from your opponent and draw a card. And yep. it, it also quests for three and it has eight willpower, only two strength. But with eight willpower, it's going to be really hard to chop down like for right. maybe a while. And and uh, this was actually an innovation from uh, Luna Eason, who ended up uh, top top fouring the 1K this past weekend, using this as the top end instead of uh, a drop Eltha. Why don't you tell us a little bit right. about why you think that uh, Luna was playing it? 
Right. Elsa was uh, one of the first threats people added to the top of the Ruby Amethyst control decks when they started playing them. Uh, so it was very cool to see Luna completely cut the Elsas for four copies of Ursula. And one of the reasons she mentioned is for the mirror. Elsa or Ursula in the mirror, uh, you know, you're the game's going to go long enough that you're going to get to seven ink. So you play her, you draw a card, they lose a lore, but that's, you know, kind of negligible. But then Ursula, you know, questing for three lore, she demands an answer and she demands a real answer because there's just not any characters. Either player is playing with eight power or eight strength rather. Yeah, and even Maui, the big baddie that costs five that right. chews up everything, only has six strength. And so right. even alone, Maui can't challenge it and requires at least one other character. And these Ruby Amethyst decks are quite strong at interacting with the opponent's characters. You know, they play Gaston's that cost two. They play Rafiki's that cost three. They play removal spells, you know? Like, it's it's tough right. to challenge the Ursula once it hits the table. Right, so that kind of uh, forces your opponent to use either Maleficent, Be Prepared, or Dragonfire on Ursula, because if not, she's just going to end the game. And then uh, part of the cool thing about Luna's deck is that she can also use those brooms to just shuffle the Ursulas in and keep presenting threats eventually. Yeah, I mean, look, I am. Uh, I was never really a big fan of Gaia's Blessing. Gaia's Blessing is an old magic <laughs> card. It's been a green and one, you shuffle three cards from your graveyard back into your deck and you draw a card. So it replaces itself, you know, it increases the density of, of threats in your deck. Um, and Magic, you know, it's got the game's got to get to a funky spot, like a really long yeah. game for that to have any sort of real effect. Um, you know, it has a, an alternate use that uh, doesn't really matter uh, in this context. But uh, my friend Blair always right. loved Guy's Blessing because he loved playing decks that go huge, like the ones playing Ursula and Maleficent and uh -huh. Be Prepared. That was his style of deck. And so he had a, a fondness for Guy's Blessing. And then I always hated it because I was like, what are you doing? Like, that's not the type of game we should be playing. We should be more aggressive. We should be winning with uh, real kill conditions instead of decking our opponent. You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's just yeah. a, a different type of philosophy. And I see Broomstick and I say, that can't challenge a Simba. Why would I want to play a two drop that can't challenge Simba if I'm going to play a deck that's more defensive? But Luna is already on the next step. We're like, well, the only decks that really exactly. matter in the format are these Amethyst and Ruby decks. And so Broom's great there because you don't need to challenge anything early. No one's going to try to pressure you early in those matchups. They're going to play those right. cards as resources, and they're going to use Broom on turn 14 to put a, a Maleficent or Be Prepared or another you know Juicy Ursula back into the deck. Right, exactly. And another reason why this... Uh, you know, shuffling back in strategy is, you know, it's maybe not the most important thing in the game. Uh, it's kind of a factor in these mirrors, but the reason it's a factor at all is because it's so incidental, right? Right. Uh, like these brooms, you know, if they're bad, you can just ink them for one thing. Uh, they also, you know, do all the things a character, a character can do. Uh, and they also, sometimes if you need it, they do shuffle in your threats or uh, whatever you think you might need if the game goes long. So yeah. just the fact that you're able to play these and not, you know, completely waste two mana like you would on a Gaia's Blessing, yeah. uh, that makes it a factor that comes up. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for Card of the Week.
Yeah. So uh, speaking of tournaments uh, with top fours, Matt, um, I know that uh, you've been kind of been on the outside looking in while I'm working with Apex to actually set up like tournaments and run stuff over the next few weeks and months. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you everything, right. And I know that I haven't told you everything so far, but you've been seeing some of the stuff I've been tweeting. So I know that you're very excited. So why don't you tell me what you think is happening in a few months and then I'll tell you what's actually happening. All right. What I've seen the past couple of days, we talked last week about the apex uh, invitational, you know, uh, 16 players we're going to invite to play some uh, very competitive Lorcana and stream that. But I also learned about these invitational qualifiers that are uh, super interesting. Uh, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little about about those? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure originally if we were going to open up any slots to the public. I wanted to pick, you know, some real killers in other card games and bring them on and, and really put them in the in the pit. Um, mm-hmm. The more that I, you know, I, I talked to like a lot of uh, people I know from Magic who I think would be perfect, and a handful uh, were just like committed, and also another handful were like very interested. And I got you know a couple of really great people that I'm very excited to show off. Um, but you know th- this is a big promotional event uh, for what our big plans are for next year. Um, but for this event specifically, and we'll be announcing everything at the Invitational. Uh, the Invitational itself is going to be on the weekend of uh, October 20th. Um, on October 20th, we'll be running a two last chance qualifiers. Uh, it's going to be five round, uh, single elimination, best of one. And these rounds are only 30 minutes long. And there's a couple of reasons for this. I'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, but sure. I just want to give you the format. So best uh, it's best of one. Five rounds, single elimination. This is just for the last chance qualifiers Friday evening at Apex Gaming on October 20th. Uh, The main event will be on Saturday. It's going to be 16 people. The guest list includes former or reigning world champion Nathan Stewart of the Magic Gathering. Um, I'm hoping that we get Luna Eason, who we've been talking about multiple times. She is very interested and excited, but has not locked in yet. And when she is locked in, I will be happy to announce that she is 100% coming. Um, we are also inviting um, uh, Mason Clark, uh, who, who I've announced. And uh, Mason, you know, uh, a wonderful competitor, a wonderful player. And uh, I've been really glad to get to know him a bunch over the last couple years as, as he's really coming to his own in, in the Magic community. Um, but these are the types of players that we're inviting to, to come play in the 16 person event. And we're going to be giving away 5,000 cash money. First place is going to be $2,500. Second place is $1,500 and third and fourth each get $500. The rest of the top 16 of the invitees will each receive $100 store credit as a thank you for playing in the event. Um, and um, not all the slots are accounted for yet, Matt. I just want that yeah. to be clear. We might do some really fun stuff with the last few slots. Um, I'm, I've got some really big names that I'm talking to that I'm hoping that they can come. Some people that aren't even from uh, the United States, you know, like there's, you know, there's a couple of people that are really considering making a big leap into Lorcana, and I, I'd be very happy to have them at our event and looking forward to it. Um, yeah, so that that's the main event on day one. Uh, you know, we're going to figure out what we want to do formats wise. Uh, day two, we're just going to play just the top four and we're going to do constructed and we're going to do 
best of five. We're going to just do the three matches oh. each separately, best of five to see who wins. It's going to be a long day, but like it's Sunday. It's fun day, right? Right. Um, but this is a closed event, but there's ways to qualify for it. On Friday, we're going to do a raffle uh, of some kind, whether it's, you know, you just come in the door, you get a ticket, or if you enter into an event, you get a ticket, something like that. And we're going to pick one lucky winner to qualify for the Invitational wow. via raffle. And that's something that I want to do. On Friday, we're going to do the drawing at like 8 p.m. I just want to, you know, give yeah. give one to, to the masses. Uh, we're also going to yeah. be running an Invitational qualifier at Apex Gaming on two different weekends leading up to the Invitational. The first uh, Invitational qualifier is going to be on September 30th. Now, September 30th is a Saturday. Uh, it's just going to be a $2,000 uh, Orkana Invitational. Uh, it's open entry to anyone. It's going to be $40. Might be 35 if Kyle wants to tighten the belt a little bit for himself or whatever, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to be 40 bucks. And we're going to cap it. I'm not sure what the cap's going to be, but we're going to put a cap on it because we just like, yeah, you know, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. Um, we're going to do the exact same thing two weeks later on October 14th. So it's another Saturday. And then one week after that, we're going to be doing the Lorcana Invitational Weekend at Apex. And this is all going to be at Apex this year. And then uh, at the Invitational, we're going to make some announcements for what we want organized play for uh, the Apex series and everything to look like for next year for Lorcana. Because we already do a bunch of stuff for Magic, and we want to provide a very similar experience for Lorcana. And with Lorcana being a very, um, you know, store-centric game for the the local game stores, right? Like, that's been the emphasis for the, the organized play so far from Ravensburger. I think they're leaning into that by just having, you know, invitational qualifiers to qualify for our invitational would be a great way to to bring a, a community together on a larger scale while still allowing you to play at your store with your friends and family. Right. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I'm already, you know, before we even get to the invitational, I'm super excited to go to those qualifiers uh, just for more Locana tournaments. That sounds great. Yeah, so I'm really happy to be working with the Huck brothers, uh, Kyle and Taryn Huck out of Apex Gaming in Caldwell, Ohio. Big shout out to them uh, for helping us put the Lorcana Invitational on. And uh, hopefully we can get some more sponsors on board because uh, Kyle, you know, he's supplying the venue and we, you know, we're trying to get that 5K cash purse, uh, you know, out of, from Coca-Cola or yeah. somebody, hopefully, but we'll see how it goes. Um, but what do you think of no. uh, of it of the whole thing, Matt? I, I need your real impression. Like, what what do you think? Is there anything that you're afraid of? Like, I I said best of one. Does that scare you? You know, it scares me a little. Uh, it does also make sense. You know, um, does that intrigue you, you at least? Yes, it it definitely does. I'm I'm very interested to try it out. Uh, I don't think it's. Um, I'm not, you know, scared enough to be like, maybe we shouldn't do this. I think it's uh, worth trying at uh, real events. Um, you know, I don't mind the idea of 30 minute rounds. Right. Uh, I and <laughs> and and I'm going to throw this out there. We don't always have to cut the top eight, Matt. We can make other cuts if it's 30 minute rounds. That's true. You know, and I, I think the biggest thing for me is I actually heard that so many players kept going to time. And from my experience watching people play the game people play pretty fast. Like, it's, you know, your turns are mapped out basically based on your curve and, and other, like, obviously there's decision points you can make and you can take a minute on a turn or whatever, but like, 
you know, the way the game works, at some point, A, I want to do chess clocks. B, mm. I want, uh, you know, a computer to decide who plays and who draws. And C, um, I don't know. I let's let's just works. play best of one. Let's just see how it works. I think it'll be great. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I could definitely see being the case, uh, you mentioned playing best of five on the, the last day of the Invitational. Uh, that definitely sounds fun for, you know, a very uh, limited event like this, but I could also see just for, you know, general Lorcana tournaments over the next year, uh, Swiss best of one and uh, top eight best of three. Yeah, I Sounds think it's like a pretty great structure. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I heard people complaining about was that it was timed rounds in the top eight. And that ultimately right. ended with one of the top eight matches being a sudden death type finish. I right. don't want to ever run a tournament where that's happening. I, I think that that Absolutely. just it, it creates like perverse incentives in the game. It you know deflates your entire sense of what you think is important in, in a match to right. you know it comes down to just like life totals or whatever, right? So right. Um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely in favor of just creating tournaments with incentives for everyone to play every round and to just like always be fighting and we can do that by making the cut like top 12 with a, a first round buy for the top four. Like we can do whatever right. we want. It's a brand new day. And when you have a ton of extra time because your tournaments don't take an hour per round at nine rounds or whatever, look, I, I am kind of sick of the 13 round day. I'm just going to say it that that's a bad day for most people. Even if you win, it's like, finally I won. But when you're second place right. and second place doesn't get, that much like if you get like a box and you lose in the finals and your opponent gets to like go to rome or whatever like <laughs> that's a horrible feeling you spent 13 hours of your time and you just were right on the cusp of greatness and and you failed and you get a box that's right. your consolation prize but yeah but i digress 13 rounds yeah. 13 hour tournaments not really my favorite thing and and if we can change them in such a way where they're seven hours instead of 13 and there's still a lot of sweat because it's a lot of you know matches that are with, like your tournament life's on the line just because we just like have a bigger cut to the elimination rounds you know right you are you a fan of like smash brothers yeah yeah i've been into smash so uh i don't know exactly how it goes but i know that they do pod play before they go to the elimination bracket and like i don't know exactly how it works but i i, I do know that like it's double elimination once you get to the elimination bracket. And sometimes it's like 32 people, double elimination. It takes like quite a while to just like go through every every person or whatever, right? And um, right. and like we can do something very similar when tournaments have like a lot of money on the line. And maybe everyone has cards already at some point, and we do conquest where you have to bring three decks instead of one deck yeah. representing all six colors, right? And so you, you get to do fun stuff like that when you have shorter rounds, like when you set exactly. the standard as being best of one is the standard. And now when we get into competitive events, we can change the structure in any way we want because a game is one one game. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you can really only make uh, those super complicated structures like Conquest work when you have best of one rounds. I think that's a very exciting direction to look. Yeah. Uh, that's what I want to do at some point, but we'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, so that's that's basically all I got for this week, Matt. You know, we we talked yep. uh, a lot about uh, your five K experience. We did the Amethyst Ruby thing. We talked a bit about organized play, and we did card of the week. 
What was your favorite? Uh, I, I like card of the week quite a bit. I think it's going to be my new favorite thing. Yeah, uh, just one shout out from this past week. Uh, after, you know, it was the the Apex Magic event and then uh, the Gathering Place last weekend and then the 1K this weekend. That was three weekends in a row where I ended up in the same building as Mason Clark. So you know, <laughs> shout out to Mason for being out there grinding with look, me. Y'all are too. Look, that. I, I haven't said this that much, I don't think, to you, but you remind me a lot of myself when I was your age, which was just super into the game itself and just mm. all the concepts around the game, from deck building to, um, you know, just like the whole culture, just absorbing it. And and uh, right. it's one of the things I admire about you, and I'm, I'm very happy that you're doing the podcast with me because, you know, you're like a little old me. Yeah, great to be here with you, Todd. Thank you. Yeah. All right, uh, before we go, I would love to shout out our wonderful sponsor, Games and Comics Paradise. This is a store uh, out of Fairfax, Virginia, run by my good friend, uh, Cass Money. And uh, you can check out uh, gcparadise.com and get all the accessories and singles that you need for all the trading card games that you like, such as Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, and soon, Orkana singles. Big time, that's gcparadise.com. Thank you so much to them for being the sponsor of the Lost Boys. Bo Matt, why don't you uh, give us your best uh, outro, and then I'll, I'll take us home. Uh, oh, wow, you're really putting me on the spot here. Uh, here's my outro. Yeah. If, you are, if you're the control player and you're casting Be Prepared, you have to sing at least one line. <laughs> well, Matt, right. why, don't you sing us, why don't you sing us a whole line? Because I, I haven't watched Aladdin since I was about seven years old, so I don't think I remember the song. I can't believe you put me on the spot. Please, Matt. Took please, one minute. I did this Matt. to Be prepared. <laughs> you peaked it. Something like that. <laughs> That's gold. That's gold, man. All right. Cool. Okay. All right. So uh, thank you so much uh, to Apex Gaming for hosting the Invitational. Uh, thank you so much to GCParadise.com uh, for sponsoring the Lost Boys. Uh, for Bo Matt Courier, I'm Tandy and Bangarang. We'll see you next week.